You are listening to a podcast from Vineyard Church of Augusta. For more information, visit vineyardaugusta.org. Well, it is 4th of July, and uh, I think it's a great idea for us to, uh, to just celebrate the freedom that we have in Christ, uh, and also our allegiance uh, to the kingdom of God. Uh, and one of the things that uh, I'm really excited about this morning is the fact that we've got uh, a, a retired Marine on our staff who's going to come this morning and share with us about the, just the, the privilege of being uh, you know, people in this country, but also where our, our ultimate allegiance needs to rest. So would you guys join me and welcome our uh, Pastor Don Pearson. Good morning, everybody. Uh, bear with me. I don't get up here very often. Uh, part of that's because my personality is not nearly as nice as Reese's and uh, <laughs> Rogers and everybody else. Uh, I'm an Enneagram 8. I'm a challenger. Okay? Uh, I'm sorry. It's just the way it is. Okay. I love you, but... I will set something in front of you that I hope challenges all of us to come into a place of balance, even as we do celebrate the occasion of the signing of an, ama- an amazing document, far lower in importance than the scriptures, but an amazing document in our own personal history as a nation. The Declaration of Independence, okay? that's, that's what this day revolves around in this country. As we said, I, I was a Marine. Oh, let's face it, I'm still a Marine. Uh, you, you don't ever get away from that. Uh, I'm going to give you a little bit of my backstory to begin with. I was born into a working class family in 1952 in Central Florida. Yes, I am a boomer. I embrace it. I'm not going to apologize for it. I have matured some in that process, okay? But I am a boomer. Uh, we are all colored. We are all passioned and patterned a bit through the experiences of life. None of us can escape that. As, as a small child growing up in, in Central Florida in those days, this was way before Disney. Way before Disney. Okay. Uh, my memories of those days, we lived way out in the boonies in a, uh, it was a shack. It was, it, was, it, was, it was coverage, but it was not anywhere near the house we have today. My father was a brick mason, and, and everybody in our circle of, of friends were working class folks. And I have, I have memories of Snakes in the living room. I have, I have memories of being chased down our little dirt road by what we call blue racers. Right. Uh, we walked to the bathroom. Okay. I, I remember waking up about age two and looking up in the rafters above my ceiling and wondering, what is all that pretty color up there? And then it started moving. And when my parents came in, they realized there was about an eight-foot snake in the rafters above my crib. Uh, 
a lot of people in our nation grew up poor in those days. It colors the way we see things. It colors the way they saw things. Did I mention the snakes? <laughs> I still have issues with snakes. We did a, we did a lot of things together in, in small family units. Uh, probably a lot of us here today do the same thing. That's something that hasn't really changed. My parents had a tight network of friends, like them, workers, simple folks. They spent their, their time fishing, gathering around a camp house, just doing things, living life. Not once did I ever hear the mention of God. Not once did I ever even see a church, for that matter. It was not part of my young life. My father had left his family after World War II and bumped into my mom who had left her first broken marriage and moved down to the Florida coast, and they met there. About the age six, my grandparents figured out where my dad had run off to, and they drove down from northeast Mississippi, pulled up in the yard, looked at the situation and said, pack up your family, you're coming home with us. So the next part of my life was lived in northeast Mississippi in the 60s. Tough time. I lived in the midst of the power of segregation. I was not blind to it. Uh, it was my first exposure to church, my grandmother was a staunch Methodist. I never saw my dad or my grandfather or my mom ever talk about church. My grandmother was a committed Methodist. And so every Sunday, myself and my little brother, we'd go to Sunday school. And at that age, basically it's little Bible lessons, I think flannel graph was still in favor in those days. The, the little stories, yeah, a lot of you guys remember that, okay? Uh, that's as good as it got. But I was also an incredible, passionate reader. And, and history was always the place that I was drawn to. And I devoured books. Everything about the founders of our nation, the, the history of key people, the, the leading up events of history that, that sparked this revolution that we jumped into and came to be the United States of America. It was my influencer. It was my truth. It was my passion. At age 12, I was at school looking in the library for something I hadn't read yet. I'm digging around on the shelves and... and Suddenly there's this ratty old leather-bound book hidden on the third shelf. And I'm like, I wonder what that is. And I pulled that book off, and it was the History of the United States Marine Corps, 1775 to 1954. I read it. After I read it, I went to my grandmother and told her, I won't be going to church with you anymore. I know what I'm doing with my life, and your religion has nothing to do with it.
I was aware that there's God. Okay? I, wasn't, I wasn't ignorant of the fact that God is and was. But he wasn't my choice. We all have a right to make choices, don't we? And our choices are always informed by who and what is influencing us. Never lose sight of that. Yes, I saw the injustices and I saw the, the personal tragedies of that age. Even though I had a, an absolute love and belief in the country, I knew we had problems even then. And as you might have noticed, those problems haven't gotten much better. So at age 17, I graduated from high school on the 2nd of July. And on the 5th of July, I was standing on those famous yellow footprints at Paris Island, South Carolina. And nothing was ever going to be the same again. I had, I had a, a, a new doctrine. I had people who were filling me moment after moment with a new vision, a new sense of purpose, a new sense of identity, and I loved it. Okay? Be careful whose voice you listen to. I still love the Marine Corps. I do not regret a minute of it. 23 years, closing years of Vietnam through Desert Storm. I can remember laying out on dusty hills, northern Turkey, observing and monitoring Russian operations around the Baltic Sea region. I can remember freezing myself off in the far Arctic of Norway, you know, monitoring Russian operations. I can remember the sound of the incoming rockets cleaning up the mess afterwards, mourning the ones who didn't make it through that mess. I can remember the sound of bullets flying past my head. You know, those, those memories never go away. Uh, in those 23 years, I held eight enlisted ranks and then six officer ranks. I was a professional. may shock none of you to know that in those days, long before Dwayne Johnson came along, they, they called me the rock. <laughs> I had my passion and I had chosen my identity. And I pursued it with gusto. On the bad side of it, lives were ended. Dreams were crushed. Uh, careers were ended. I can't, I can't escape those realities either. Okay? We live with the choices we made. Choices, again, informed by what's feeding our minds, what's stirring our hearts. Okay? What you said in the interim after our worship. God is pursuing us. He's never going to stop pursuing us. But if we are so clouded by all the other voices, we're never going to hear that gentle, quiet call. 
I told Reese when he asked me if I would do this, he said, you know, my life has been defined by two oaths and a vow. The oath that drove my life for so long, many of you sitting here know it. I do solemnly swear that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same. That oath defined my life for so many years. And if it hadn't been for somebody else stepping into the picture, it still would. I am still a patriot at the core of who I am. But I'm a patriot for someone else now. Okay? Uh, I love my country. I believe in what it can be. But my eyes are perfectly awake to all that it is not. <laughs> I met Patty in the Marine Corps. We got married in 1990. And suddenly, my oath of office was paling in comparison to the vows that I took that day. Okay. <laughs> Good man ruined. Everything that I had for my truth suddenly was beginning to clash with my future. And in 1990, late 92, the Marine Corps decided they were going to send me to a place Patty couldn't go, and a child was on the way. Two full-board colonels and a major general couldn't change the mind of the people who wrote those orders. So I just said, yeah, I've got another option submitted my retirement papers. Okay. First year was easy because I got hired right into one of those contractors who was doing what I was doing. I mean, that was easy. I just changed from a uniform to a suit. But after that, it got hard because that job went away with budget cuts. And I found myself trying to find anything in the D.C. area and it was not easy. I wound up cashing checks for a national firm in an office just outside the, the, the outskirts of Washington, D.C. proper. Every day was a question of, is this the day we get robbed? Is this the day the person that comes to open up has somebody in the parking lot with a pistol waiting for them? It was 60-hour weeks, bad pay, and zero self-respect. At the end of that time, I was a broken man. That identity that I had lived so long on, it was gone. There was nothing sure in my life anymore. We were in debt. There were no good jobs to be had, and I was desperate. I had some friends that belonged to a little vineyard church, about 10 miles from where we lived. And after two years of them harassing me, wanting me to go, I finally said yes with zero expectation. God was waiting right there in that little church. Pastor was a gentle, quiet, kind young man with pointy-toed cowboy boots 
and a guitar slung over his shoulder. First thing I noticed when we walked in the door was these people look happy. They actually look like they enjoy being here. And they did. Because they had a community. They had found a family that was on a journey together. And, and they had a truth that I didn't yet understand. But I came to understand it. We came down here in 1996. Patty had a job transfer. We had a chance to come down here. And the first question I asked my pastor up there was, how far do I have to drive to find a vineyard church? He looked it up and, hey, there's one right there in town. So before we found a house, we found out where the church was. And they've been stuck with me here ever since. <laughs> in that church, Jesus made himself real in a place where I had lost my sense of realness. And he invited me into a place of identity in him, through him, and for him. And all of my passions, all of my commitments to what used to be and all that it meant to me flipped. Okay. Uh, I love the church. I love who we're called to be. I love the mission we've been given. We are a called out people. We are a people called to be different than the world around us. Whose truth is feeding our sense of self? Ask yourself that question today. Jeremiah 2.13, about 600 years before Jesus is born, the prophet Jeremiah is talking to a people who they've turned from the worship of common idols. They've turned away from Yahweh, and they're worshiping idols now. Jeremiah comes to them with a message from God. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. If you look at the dynamics of the church in America today in the social construct that we're all living in, the statistics are frightening. I was looking at a bar and a chart. For people in my generation and the generation that immediately followed mine, the attendance stays pretty normal across the graph. But for the generations after that, the millennials and the wise and the whatever was there, their attendance is rapidly doing this. They're hearing a different message. They're separating from the church as we know it. A young pastor in that first vineyard church, he had roots going back to South African revival there. And he carried a flame inside himself. He lived out Micah 6 8. 
seek justice, love mercy, walk humbly. There's a whole lot of our church leaders in America today that probably need to go back and revisit that that passage. Patriotism is not necessarily a bad thing. But when we allow our spokesmen to tie patriotism to God, we are risking the step into Christian nationalism. And nationalism of any flavor is a poison well. All you have to do is look at history. Every nation that went that route became totalitarian and brutal. I don't want to see my country go there. I can love my country without worshiping my country. We came down here and we stepped into a church that was experiencing the ripples of a revival that was happening in the vineyard in those days. There was excitement. There was, there was just a sense of people, I mean, they couldn't wait to get here. And they came in the door expecting to know, what's God going to do today? What's he going to do today? Not what's, what's the pastor going to say today? What's God going to do today? Okay? That's a different way of living out our faith. And if we'd been around with the disciples when they were walking around with Jesus, that's what we'd be doing. What's he going to do today? How many of you have have caught up and watched the Chosen series? If you haven't, I would encourage you to check it out. Yes, it's a television program. Some of the folks who are doing it are Catholic in their background. Gosh, I fell in love with it. I fell in love with it because it is showing me a picture of the humanity of Jesus, his love for the Father, and just the way that he and those crazy broken disciples that he picked out of the crowd began to reveal the realities of what was possible. John 4, verses 13 and 14, Samaritan woman at the well. When I watched that particular episode, uh, that was a heart grabber. Jesus told that woman there, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give will never be thirsty again. But the water I give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up to everlasting life. Jesus wants his church to be that fountain to the community around us. That that when we come in and we commune with him and with one another, the overflow of that time is a blessing to everybody we interact with out there. One of the things I am so proud of for this church is our heart for the out there. It is is so worked into the DNA of who we are 
And I encourage you, if you have not yet stepped into one of those opportunities, you owe it to yourself to do it. Is it uncomfortable the first time? Gosh, the first time Reese said, hey, you want to go out to the housing development? Oh, gosh, no, I don't. But yeah, if you ask me, I'll go. (laughs) And we loved it. We kept going back. Our kids were with us. Our kids and his children were playing with the kids in the development. I got to see the impact of the heart of Christ interacting with the heart of the lost. And I've never, I've never doubted it again. So whose well are we drinking from? How many voices out there are grabbing our attention? Are you, are you committed to the elephant or the donkey? Is, is one of your favorite news channel leading you around? Okay. Are those the voices that are stirring your heart to something? Check your heart, folks. Those are not the voices we're called to follow. They may have elements of truth in them here and there, but they all have an agenda. And when we get sucked into their agenda, the cause of Christ suffers. I'm a patriot for the kingdom of God. We're constantly going to be bombarded. There's no way to avoid it. It's just just the way it is. You are going to be bombarded by by the voices of our culture. And they're all saying, believe what I believe. Follow my teaching. Get passionate about the things I'm passionate about. And they all have their agenda. And, and some of them even have some good points to their agenda. But there's a lot of poison in the agendas too. You can, you can dress up a dish and make it look good. But if it's spoiled at the bottom, it's not going to be good. We are a called out people. We are called to follow the voice of our God. And that's something we need to practice more and more and more. Because the competition to override override that voice is intense right now. There's not an hour of any day that we're not getting bombarded with a different message, a different cry for our passions. Get upset about this. Get excited about that. Join this cause. It's not necessarily those causes are all bad, but they're all out of balance. They're all out of balance with the will of God. They're all going to the extremes. Okay? The only thing I want to be extreme about is being a person who reveals the heart of the Father the mind of Christ, and the power of the Holy Spirit. Because that's what we're commissioned to do. 
And the more we can do that, the more the culture will be impacted. And if we choose not to do that, if we choose to just do that in our little huddles, we're not going to impact the culture. It's a circus out there. And it can be incredibly depressing. My encouragement is turn off the news. Okay? Uh, quit following the dancing bears, all right? It's a circus. We're not called to the circus. Over the last years, we've watched the politics in our nation become toxic. Now, you're not supposed to talk about politics in church. Okay? So I'm not going to be endorsing anybody, but I'll tell you that the politics environment in this nation is toxic. We are killing one another, literally, because we've taken our eyes and put them in the wrong direction. We've attached our passions to the wrong causes. We're called to be a people who reveal the heart of God. Jesus did that in a very simple manner. And he's the only model that we need to follow. His was not a strident voice. His was a compassionate voice. And everywhere he went, every person he interacted with was left going, who was that? That was, that changed me. I want to know more. My life has been marked by interactions with people along the way who just simply revealed the heart of God. Simply walked in the same kind of powers that Jesus walked in. Spoke as softly as Jesus spoke. And we only got angry one time. That was at the church. <laughs> Men like John Wimber only got to meet him once, but his messages changed my life. One of the ones that stuck with me was a seemingly silly little statement that means the world. He declared openly that he was a fool for Christ. And then he challenged everybody around him, whose fool are you? Because every one of those strident voices, every one of those causes wants you to be a fool for them. Choose the way John chose. If I'm going to look foolish, it's going to be doing something that the Lord chose me to do. Saying something that he's calling me to say. We have an offer to take up a new identity. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. 
I'm going to read from the Passion Translation, which looks at the Aramaic. But you are God's chosen treasure, priests who are kings, a spiritual nation, set apart as God's devoted ones. He called you out of darkness to experience his marvelous light, and now he claims you as his very own. He did this so that you would broadcast his glorious wonders throughout the world. For at one time you were not God's people, but now you are. At one time you knew nothing of God's mercy, because you had not yet received it. But now you are drenched with it. Drenched with it. Imagine the richness of that word, drenched in the mercies of God. Dripping it everywhere you go. That's how we impact the world, folks. That's the identity that we have got to choose to walk in. That's where our loyalties have to be if the world is ever going to come to any kind of place where all of its people can simply walk in peace and care for one another. 